The following is a presentation of the Open Door Bible Baptist Church and Pastor Chris Tice. For more audio and video content, please check us out on the web at www.opendoornj.org. Jesus now asks a question where he's been asked a lot of questions. If you look at uh, chapter 12 and we go back, we've looked at a lot of the questions that the scribes, the Sadducees, the Pharisees had brought to Jesus. And so they're asking Jesus these questions as he's here in the temple. If you can remember, this is Tuesday of the Passion Week, so Jesus is going to go to the cross this week. And he had already come in, the triumphal entry, rode the the donkey into Jerusalem. All of that had taken place. They cried Hosanna in the streets. And then Jesus goes into the temple. Remember, he he condemns the temple. He finishes, he says, this is not a place anymore where sacrifices are going to be done. He puts an end to that. That's what prophesying of what's going to happen when Jesus dies on the cross. Remember, that veil is going to be rent in two, and there's going to be this new way to God through Jesus Christ, this new covenant that doesn't fit in the old covenant, this new way that doesn't fit in the old way. And Jesus is introducing all of that. But uh, through all of this, there's a question about who Jesus is. And I think there's still a question today, isn't there? Don't a lot of people not know who Jesus is? I'm not saying like they don't believe that Jesus ever existed, because there are a lot of people that, I mean, there are some people that say that, and usually they're, you know, rewriters of history. They don't really embrace archaeological facts or historical facts that obviously there was a man named Jesus who did live in the time frame that the Bible places him in and said and did a lot of the things. Even Josephus' writings that are not Bible writings during that time are historical writings uh, mention all of the things that Jesus did and said. We know that in the Bible, everything Jesus did and said is not here. So there's a lot of things that Jesus did and said that are not in the Bible. The Bible itself tells us that. So we understand that. And as we look at who Jesus is, how many know also that a lot of us learned who Jesus was through religion? Which means we learned about somebody who was named Jesus, but wasn't the Jesus of the Bible. So we learned about this figure, and it could have started in your Sunday school class with this statue that looked like this American guy with long hair that probably lived in the 60s, you know? And uh, you look at this guy, and that's who Jesus was to you. I know we can chuckle a little bit. I know that sounds a little blasphemous, sacrilegious to you. But at the time, you embraced that as, well, that was Jesus. How many know now that that wasn't Jesus? That wasn't Jesus. Some of you still struggle with that. I'm not so sure, is it? Can I say that? That was a statue, okay? That was a graven image. That wasn't Jesus. Jesus is not a long-haired hippie that lived in the 60s. He never lived in America, despite what Mormons would tell us, that he came to New York and wrote some golden plates and, you know, lived in upstate New York at some point. That never happened either. That's not the Jesus of the Bible. So, you know, there's a lot of things that people say who Jesus was. There's there's cults today that see Jesus was the brother of Satan. How many know that that's not true? So there's a lot of things that people say about Jesus. Uh, Jesus is not a co-redeemer. He's not a redeemer that redeemed and needed Mary's help. Are you with me? So he's not a co-redeemer with Mary. Uh, he's not someone to also be prayed to and, and, and also with the rest of the, the good saints that lived during Jesus' time. Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, the Redeemer of mankind, who came into the world to save sinners. Jesus is declared in the Scriptures to us. We're to preach Jesus. That's what the Bible says. But there's a little bit of an identity crisis or a question about uh, identity that began even when Jesus was on the earth. A lot of people would say this, well, if Jesus came here physically, we'd have no question about who Jesus was. Well, that's not true because Jesus did come physically to the earth and there was still a debate about who he was. I mean, Jesus went around doing the things that he did, 
How many remember Nicodemus, John chapter 3? He came to Jesus that night. Why? Because he didn't want anybody else to know that's what he was doing. There was a back conversation. A conversation happened behind closed doors between the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and all the Jewish rulers, and they were trying to figure out who Jesus was. And Nicodemus, he comes to Jesus at night, and he says this, We know that you're a a teacher, a master, you know, a good man that God sent because nobody could do the miracles that you do except God be with him. So he was willing to at least to assent that Jesus was a good man. I mean, the Muslims would tell us that Jesus was a prophet like Muhammad. So they're not saying, you know, there wasn't a Jesus. They're not saying that, you know, uh, you know, he wasn't a good man. There's a lot of people that say Jesus was existed and Jesus was a good man. But can I say this to you today? You can believe that Jesus existed. You can even believe that Jesus was a good man, and you'll be lost. Because you have to receive Jesus as God presents him to us. The Holy Spirit presents him to us in the Scripture. The Scriptures were given to us by the Holy Spirit. They were not given to us by the will of man. They were given to us by the Holy Spirit. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable, the Bible says, for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction. That's all of Scriptures. So we don't choose some of Scriptures. We, all the Scriptures have been given to us by inspiration of God. Jesus, as he references David's writings in Psalm 110, verse number 1, look at verse 36 with me. Notice how Jesus points out what David wrote. He says in verse 36, For David himself said, what's the next phrase? By the Holy Ghost. What's he saying? Well, what David said came to him under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So David wouldn't have said this unless the Holy Spirit made it known to him, made it clear to him. Because nobody says that Jesus is Lord except the Holy Spirit makes that clear to him. How do we know that's true? Let's fast forward into the Gospels. Jesus goes to the disciples. Who do people say that I am? Some say you're a prophet. Some say you're a good teacher. Some say you're Elias, you're Elijah, you've come back, you know, resurrected Elijah. You're one of the prophets, one of the great ones that have come back to to preach. Some say you're John the Baptist. He was beheaded, but now you're reincarnated in Jesus. The spirit of John the Baptist is there. And Jesus says, well, that's all good and well what people say about me. But what does he say to Peter? He said, but who do you, Peter, say that I am? What does Peter say? Thou art the... Christ, the Son of the living God. What does Jesus say back to him? Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father, which is in heaven. Why? Because we can accept Jesus as a historical figure. We can accept him as a good teacher and a good man. We can accept him as a religious element, but not accept him as Lord and Savior of our lives, because that is something that has to take place through the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit of God reveals to us who Jesus is. He does it through his word. And here Jesus is speaking to a group of religious people who believe in the Messiah. They are looking for the Messiah. Their whole lives are about looking for the Messiah. Their whole law points to their need for a Messiah. And all of these things add up, but their answer is wrong. They don't do the math. Why? Because the math doesn't point to Jesus It points to who they want Jesus to be. How many know that a lot of people today, they make God to be who they want him to be? God is someone that does this. God is someone, I I don't see God doing this, or I don't see God doing that. I don't see how a God of love could do this or that. And everybody makes a God 
to themselves, and they dictate how their God responds and reacts and interacts with humanity. And now the question is, well, then who is God? Is it him or you? Because who's the Lord? Who's calling the shots? Who's the one that's in control of these things? And so we see in this dialogue, first, there's a confrontation, the confrontation. This confrontation comes, Jesus is uh, 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 confronting them with a rhetorical question. And here's the confrontation, and this is really what it sums up to be. Jesus can't be who you choose him to be. Jesus can't be who you choose him to be. He is who the Bible says he is, and he is all that the Bible says he is, or he is not at all to you. He cannot be partially to you. He cannot be a part Lord. He cannot be a part God. He cannot be partly embraced. He must be embraced as he is in the scriptures because that's why God declared him to us. When we come, we preach Jesus, Jesus crucified. Why do we preach him the way that we preach him? What differs us from all the religions and faiths and cultures when it comes to Jesus? Because there's a lot of cults that believe in Jesus. Are you with me? There's a lot of cults that believe in Jesus. There are a lot of religions that believe in Jesus. There are some religions that reject Jesus completely And there are some people that reject the existence of Jesus. But let's just, for time's sake, let's just push aside those that reject the existence of Jesus because I don't believe that that's historically honest. And so we'll push that aside for a minute. We can maybe deal with that another time, but we're not going to deal with that today because I'm dwelling under the assumption today that if you're here, you believe that Jesus existed. You believe that Jesus existed. I'm not saying that you accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life, but I'm at least assenting to that if you're in church in a religious worship service, that you at least would assent to belief that Jesus existed. Now, what I want to today is look at is whether or not Jesus is your Lord, your Christ, because just because you believe that Jesus exists doesn't mean he's Lord. Just because you believe that Jesus exists doesn't mean he's Savior and God to you. What always caused a commotion in Jesus' ministry? It wasn't when he did miracles. Miracles never caused the commotion. They caused excitement. They caused intrigue. They caused questions. They, They drew a crowd. But they never caused the commotion. As a matter of fact, the Pharisees, Sadducees, and scribes never had problems when Jesus did miracles, except when he did them on the Sabbath. Remember that? Because that crossed the line, right? You can do your miracles, just don't do them on Saturday, okay? They had a problem when he did miracles when it crossed their law lines. But they didn't have a problem with Jesus doing miracles because look back in the Old Testament. Miracles are very much a part of the Bible. God did miracles. There were a lot of things. There were a lot lot of men that did miracles. I mean, Moses did miracles. David did miracles. There were miracles that happened. Joshua did miracles. Joseph did miracles. There were miracles that happened all, all, all throughout the Scriptures as God moved on man. I mean, even Samson, the picture of the carnal Christian to us, did miracles. Samson was a miracle, wasn't he? We look at all these Old Testament characters and we see the miracles in their lives. They had no problems with Jesus when he did miracles. Where where did the problem come in? When Jesus forgave sins and claimed to be God. That's when the problem came in. Religion doesn't have a problem with Jesus until he becomes the only one. Till he becomes the only way. Till he becomes the only truth. He, He can do good things for humanity. He can even restore to us and give us blessings and restore health to our, 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 our bones and he could give life to us physically. But when it's spiritual, 
boy, I don't want anything to do with them. A lot of people, that's how they treat Jesus today. I want Jesus to fix my life. I want Jesus to fix my relationships. I want Jesus to fix my marriage. I want Jesus to fix my body. I want all these things. And they come to Jesus like the crowds came to Jesus. Those crowds were no more saved. They were the same crowds that shouted crucify. They showed up, saw the miracles. Even some of them benefited from the miracles. But how many know the miracles were meant to tell them something? The miracles were meant to point them to something. And that was that Jesus was not just Jesus the man, but he was Jesus the Christ. Now, that word Christ is an important word in the Bible, isn't it? Because the word Christ means Messiah. It means the chosen one, the anointed one, the one that would come from God and fulfill the prophecies concerning, uh, uh, concerning the Messiah who would come and he would restore and he would bring redemption and he would bring peace and he would sit on the throne of David. Now, look at Jesus' dialogue from that thought. Notice what he says. How say the scribes that Christ is the son of David? Now, when he says Christ, he is talking about himself because he's the Christ, but he's talking about the Christ in a sense of the way they look at him. You're saying he's the son of David. And you notice when they attacked Jesus, did they attack him according to his lineage? They called him the son of Mary. And what they were, what were saying, we be not born of fornication. You know, they said that, the Pharisees said that to Jesus. In other words, they were trying to point out that they believed that Jesus was an illegitimate child, that Jesus was born out of wedlock, that Jesus was born as a result of sin. What a blasphemous thing to say about the Messiah who was going to be born of a virgin. By the way, that's what the Old Testament, he was not born of a young woman, he was born of a virgin. Young women have children every day, but last time I checked, virgins don't. Are you with me? So he was born of a virgin, and he was, came through the seed, the line, the lineage of David. Why? Because that was the prophecy. Jesus fulfilled the requirements for prophet, priest, and king, didn't he? And we see those in the lineages in the gospel. That's why they're there. You know, when you do your devotions and so-and-so begat so-and-so and so-and-so begat, how many struggle through some of those, you know? You're trying to get something from the Lord and it's just like, this is not the verse, all right? You know, but how many know that that's important? You know why it's important? Because you're supposed to know who Jesus is. Because religions are saying who Jesus is, and they're, they're saying he's the wrong person. And this is where we're got today. We have this group of religious, religious groups out there that say, hey, we can all get, to lo- get along and hold hands, and we all believe the same thing. No, we don't all believe the same thing. Because we don't believe in the same Jesus. The Jesus you're talking about is not the Jesus that I believe in. Just because you say Jesus doesn't mean you mean the Jesus of the Bible. Just because you say God doesn't mean you mean the God of the Bible. Many are going to say, Lord, Lord, in the end. But you know what that word, Lord, Lord, it doesn't mean the same word Lord Jesus Christ means. It doesn't mean Yahweh God. It's a God I made to myself to serve myself and then look at my works. Did we not? Did we not? Look at all the things we've done. On the basis of my works and on the basis of my God, I don't get to heaven. Heaven is only through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible tells us. And it's only through Christ that we can come. The Bible is very clear about that, but sometimes the Bible can become confusing when we allow the dictates of man to define the Bible to us. But when we read the Bible, what Jesus said about himself, what the Bible says about him, what the Holy Spirit tells us about Christ. Hey, listen, if you're a child of God today, the truth is you're a child of God Because at some point in your life, you heard the gospel and the Holy Spirit told you that Jesus was the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And you believe that. 
It was the Word of God and the Spirit of God that produced salvation in your heart. You have to thank God by His grace for that today. But I can't make that happen, and you can't make that happen. What do we do? We preach Jesus, and we allow the Word of God. Jesus cannot be who you choose Him to be. Each time Jesus asked, each time Jesus was asked questions in chapter 12, they were designed to make Him look foolish, weren't they? Remember all those questions they asked Him in chapter 12? They're trying to trip Jesus up. They're trying to make Him look foolish. Jesus answers all those questions all those questions masterfully, doesn't he? And then he asks them a question which reveals the biggest problem. The biggest problem is that they did not believe Jesus to be God in the flesh. By the way, if you don't believe that, that's also your biggest problem. You think you have bigger problems, but your biggest problem is today is if you haven't received the Jesus of the Scriptures, that's your biggest problem. You need Jesus today. And not my Jesus, and not some religions, not the Baptist Jesus or the whatever Jesus. I'm talking about the Bible Jesus. What the Bible says Jesus, who, who Jesus is. Because you have to answer that question, who is Jesus? Notice first is confrontation, but notice secondly, the implication. The implication. What is the implication of this question or this thing that Jesus is saying? Well, Well, the implication is this. Jesus is more than you know him to be. Jesus is more than you know him to be. As Jesus confronts these men, he asks them about Psalm 110, verse number 1. And Jesus acknowledges by all the Jews this to be a reference of the coming Messiah. He he knows that the Jews look to this, this passage of Scripture. And if you look at Psalm 10, verse number 1, there's two lords here. And if you look at Jesus' comment, the Lord said to my Lord in Verse number 36. Well, there's two words, Lord, and what does it mean? Because that's an awfully confusing dialogue. The Lord said to my Lord. What's he talking about? Well, the first Lord is the Hebrew word Yahweh. And the second Lord in that verse is the Hebrew word Adonai. They're two different words. Why is he saying it this way? The idea is is that this verse is saying, the Lord Yahweh said to my David's Lord, Adonai. In other words, David addresses the Messiah as his Lord. This is my Lord, the Messiah. I'm receiving him as my Lord. That's what what the implication of here is. In other words, the Messiah is to be a man, but he's to be more than a man. Because how could David call his son Lord? That's what Jesus is really asking. How could the son of David be David's Lord? Well, the only way that the son of David could be David's Lord is if that son of David was the Messiah. That's what he's saying. How could something that came from David's seed, how could someone that came from David's seed be God? How could that happen? How many glad for the incarnation? John chapter number 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the same was the beginning with God, and all things were made by Him, and Without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He, the same came to be bear witness of that light. This light was the light of men. You know, this is what he's talking about here. And then he gets to verse number 14, verse 16. He says, in the word, same word, same, same person he's talking about, became flesh. Translated, incarnation to us. God breathed himself 
into man. And man became what? In, John chapter, in Genesis chapter 1, man became a living soul. God sends his son in the form of a man. And in Luke chapter, in the Gospels, we see he came as a little child, born of a virgin. Jesus grew. And we see him as he grows. And, and he's, you know, kind of got an earthly father in Joseph and Mary. But then all of a sudden, he's so different. And the things that he says, not like anything that man has ever said. And he speaks as one that has authority, not as the scribes. And there's something different about him. There's something different about him. And then the miracles that begin to happen in his life. And then the things and the claims that he begins to speak and say. Then the voice from heaven, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear he him. And then the preaching on the mountains and the crowds that are gathering and John the Baptist, he must increase and I must decrease and the beheading of John and Jesus continuing ministry and crowds and crowds uh, gather and listen to him. Nobody says anything like he says. Nobody does anything like he does. And he begins to be further and further set apart. And all of a sudden, before Abraham was, I am. I am the father, our one. He didn't differentiate himself between God the Father and himself. He said, I and the Father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. What claims? Nobody has ever spoken like this. Nobody should speak like this. He heals the man born of four in the palsy. They lower him down. And what does he say? Thy sins be forgiven. Nobody can forgive sins but God. And Jesus says, I'll say as well. You understand, I'm God in the flesh. But they didn't get it, did they? The disciples struggled with it at first. And then the Holy Spirit shows it to Peter. Peter speaks those words. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Flesh and blood isn't revealed to this, but my Father which is in heaven. Then we get it. Romans, if you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus... And believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. Hey, that he's given him a name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Things in heaven and things in earth, things under the earth. And every tongue should confess that he is Lord. What's he saying loud and clear? Jesus Christ is Lord. There's nobody else. There's no other Savior There's no other Messiah. There's no one else to look to. There's nothing else to do. It's just receive Jesus as he is. The implications of this is that Jesus is far more than what you ever thought him to be or expected him to be. For the disciples, he was much more than what they desired him to be. As he said, hey, listen, guys, hey, this this house is going to be tore down. But in three days, I'm going to build it up again. Hey, this body's going to go in the grave, but in three days it's going to rise again. They said, oh, no, no, no. You don't need to go to death. You don't need to die. We don't want that to happen. And Jesus dies. And he gets buried in this borrowed tomb. And he's in the grave. And they're, what are they doing? They're hiding in the room and locking the doors, afraid that someone's going to come and crucify them. And, and then three days go by. And all of a sudden, one of the ladies says, I want to go out and anoint the body of Jesus. And she runs to the, or goes to the tomb in and, and that Sunday morning. And, and who's there but an angel who's sitting there on the stone that's been rolled away. And he says, why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, for he has risen as he said. Why? Because he's God. Only God 
could say, I'm going to rise again and rise again. I mean, Babe Ruth could point the left field and right field all he wanted and call the shot, but it was no guarantee. Jesus called the shot, and it was a guarantee. It was already a done deal because he's God. Because what he says happens. All he has to do is speak, and it's done. Mary pointed well. The only command, by the way, that Mary gives in the Bible is whatever Jesus says, do it. It's the only thing that she said. Remember the marriage feast of Canaan? Whatever he says, do what he says. It's a great command. Do what Jesus says, because what Jesus says is going to come to pass. But can I tell you today that Jesus is far more than what religion says Jesus is. Jesus is far more than what the world says Jesus is. Jesus is far more than what any man has ever declared Jesus to be outside the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But when when God speaks, we better listen. And the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in verse number 36, he says, this is what David was saying, guys. Here's the implication. You know the one that you're going to nail to a cross? You know the one that you're opposing right now? The one that you're coming at? The one that you think's a fool? The one that you're trying to, uh, uh, to, to catch up? To have these, you know, these false trials and all the things that you're going to accuse me of? Hey, guess what? Hey, the finger's pointing back at you, fellas, because you're going to kill the Messiah, the Savior of the world, and he's standing here right in front of you. That's what Jesus is saying. I am the Messiah. Listen, if Jesus is not not the Messiah, then we're all lost. If Jesus isn't God, then we're all lost. Jesus was not a God. He was not a form of God. He was not a lesser God. He's not under God. He is God in the flesh and nothing less than that. The deity of Christ is just as much under attack in the doctrine of our faith as it ever was. But now through craftiness, now through education, we love to talk about Jesus, but as soon as you say Jesus is God, boy, watch the room clear. Well, I believe in Jesus, but who is Jesus to you? Listen, we should never accept just, I believe in Jesus. Who is Jesus? Is he the Christ? Is he the Messiah? And then here's a bigger question for us all today. Is he your Christ? Is he your Christ? David said it this way, my Lord, my Lord. Remember Thomas? I won't believe unless I see. How many like Thomas a little bit? God, if you show me, then I'll believe. God, if you do it, then I'll follow. God, I need to see something. Thomas said, unless I put my hands in the nail scars and thrust my hand to the side, I won't believe. Boy, Jesus was gracious, wasn't he? He showed up, walked through the wall. There in there's fear and trembling, and the presence of God enters in through the embodiment of the Lord Jesus Christ. He comes through in that glorified body, walks in. He says, Thomas, I'm here. Why don't you come touch me? You want to know? Come touch me. See, Jesus is always okay for examination because he doesn't want you to trust your emotions. He doesn't want you to trust somebody else's words. He doesn't want to trust you somebody else's will. Jesus doesn't come in salvation by the will of flesh or the will of man, but of God. He says, come, touch. I love how the disciples articulate in the scriptures that which we have seen with our own eyes of our hands have handled the word of life. You know what they're saying to us, church? We need to let this hit us a little bit harder than what it does when we read over it. 
We saw him. We touched him. We heard him. You can trust this. Don't let people who have never seen him or touched him or heard him tell you he doesn't exist while you ignore those that have seen him and touched him and heard him. I want to hear from those that were with him. Are you with me? I want to hear from those who walked with him. I want to hear from those who knew him. And Thomas is there and he says, come touch me. Listen, if you have any doubt in your mind that Jesus is the Son of God, can I say this to you today? He wants you to come and experience it for yourself. Because the answers are there. There are many infallible proofs in the Scriptures. He appeared to so many people, thousands of eyewitnesses' accounts. Don't let education, don't let the world, don't let the naysayers and those that believe that there is no God and the detractors keep you from thinking clearly through this. Because if God's speaking to your heart, you know what you need to do? You need to respond in repentance and faith, receiving Him to be Lord of your life. Because that's what He wants to be. And here's the truth today. The devil has us duped into believing that we're calling our own shots, that we're our own king. Because there's only two kingdoms, right? There's the prince of the power of the air. Remember what Jesus said to those Pharisees, those religious crowd? You know they thought they were God's people, right? You are of your father, the devil. You say that to someone who doesn't care, like someone who doesn't care about religion or God, that doesn't impact them very much. You say that to someone who's religious, that's awfully offensive. Hey, we're doing all this stuff. We're, we're, we're doing all these works. And Jesus looks at them and he says, get thee behind me, Satan. You are of your father, the devil. Oh, you generation of vipers. I mean, Jesus had the strongest verbiage for the religious, didn't he? Why? Because they need to be shook the most. People who are outside of faith and religion, they know they do wrong. And some of them don't care. But the problem with the religious people is they think they're okay. They're okay in their religion. They're okay in their works. They're okay in their belief systems. It's a well-structured uh, 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 society to keep you feeling safe. There's only two kingdoms. One is crumbling and the other is coming. Are you with me? There's only two kingdoms. One is crumbling and the other is coming. And what is Jesus saying? You want to be part of the crumbling kingdom? Well, it looks good now. It's well-polished now, but corruption's coming. The end's coming. Destruction's coming. It's all going to crumble and fall apart. It is a house of cards that will be easily destroyed. Jesus tore them apart with just words. They had nothing to stand on. It's the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. That's what the Bible says. Everybody has a father. Either your father's the devil or your father's God. You said, oh, I don't, I don't, you can't serve two masters. Jesus said there's only two kingdoms, there's only two lords, there's only two fathers. You're in the kingdom of the power of Satan or you're in the kingdom of God. But you only come into the kingdom of God through one door. Jesus says, I'm the door. You've got to come through Jesus Christ. And you're either in one kingdom or the other. There is no other alternative There is no other place to go. And truthfully, in the end, it's heaven or hell. There's no middle ground. There's no holding tank. Are you with me? Nobody's praying you out of hell. Nobody's getting you from that place. It's an eternal place. It's a place where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. It's a place prepared for the devil and his angels. And death and hell were cast in the lake of fire. This is the second death, the Bible says. And listen... 
God has prepared a place for those that love Him, the Bible says. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and come again, I'll receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. Hey, can I tell you this morning, church, a kingdom is coming. But it's not of this world because that kingdom's coming down. But here's this implication. Jesus is either Lord of your life or He is not Lord at all. He is either your Lord or no Lord to you. Because you have another Lord. It's you. It's yourself. The devil will gladly allow you to serve yourself as long as you won't serve God. He'll allow you to think that you're in control. How many know that that control is an illusion? It's that house of cards. You thought you were calling the shots. You thought you were in control. And you know what people say when they get enslaved to sin? I can quit anytime I want. Go ahead. Quit. I don't want to right now. You know why? Because you can't. Because you're a slave to it. You know, slavery on one side and slavery on the other side. Would you rather be the devil's slave or Jesus's? And let me tell you something. In the leadership hierarchy in God's kingdom, can I tell you that servant is on top? In ours, servant's on the bottom. In the devil's, servant's is on the bottom. On the top are what? The kings and the princes and the rulers and those that use people and have control. In God's kingdom, he that is the greatest is the servant of all. You know what's great to be God's servant? Because you're on top. In God's economy, in God's kingdom, a servant is the greatest that you can be. And all that other stuff that you thought was so great is on the bottom. It's so low. That's what Paul learned as he grew in the Lord. He said, those things that I thought were gain, I count as loss to the excellency of Christ. All of my resume is but dung that I might serve Christ. It's all lost because I want to be a servant. Listen, only making Jesus your Lord can make you want to be a servant. Paul said, hey, I'm a bond slave. Jesus Christ, I used to be a slave to my sin, but now I'm a slave to Jesus. You know, a lost person scratches their head at that and says, I don't want to be a slave at all. I want to be free to live as I want. Well, that's just slavery in a devil's kingdom. It's an illusion of freedom by doing what I want. That's an illusion. You know where true freedom is? In Christ. It's in Christ. It's in his word. It's not live, because that gets old after a while. You just do what you want, live how you want, and you find out that none of that pays and none of that brings happiness and joy and peace to your life. Because some people have made Jesus out to be and grace out to be something of, you know, receiving Jesus and then living how you want. And this has become popular. You know why? Because I get both then. I can get Jesus and also my life. I can get Jesus as the way, but also my way. And those two are married together. And Jesus now becomes the one that makes all my dreams come true. It's a false gospel. Jesus didn't come in the world to make your dreams come true. Jesus came in the world to redeem you. Jesus came in the world to restore you, to buy you back. Because sin had sold you into slavery to Satan, and now he's redeemed you and bought you. You're not your own, he says. You're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and your spirit because they're God's. Hey, listen, while people say grace, they don't even mean the grace of God that brings salvation because the grace of God that brings salvation teaches us. This is what the Bible says it teaches us. 
to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts and to live godly and soberly and righteously in this present world. Some people say, well, I got Jesus, and now when Jesus comes back, then I'll be without sin and I can live godly. God says, no, no. Now that you've received Christ and Christ is in you, you can live godly in this present world. You can be righteous in this present world. You can have sin all around you, but not sin in you. I'm glad that you've been washed internally from all of your sin. We still deal with the presence of sin, but not its power. The presence in our flesh, but not its power within us. We have that new nature that's in Christ, but the old nature is dead and gone. I'm thankful for that today. That's the implication. Look at the application. The application is this. What you believe about Jesus changes who you are. What you believe about Jesus changes who you are. Because my identity is in his identity. I want you to see this application and we're done. If your identity is in the world, then the world dictates who you are. Everybody okay? We follow that? If your identity is in the world, then the world dictates who you are. But if your identity is in Christ, then Christ dictates who you are. Who do you want saying who you are? Because you don't get to say who you are. This is what people think. I get to say who I am. No, no. You are who you belong to. Your identity is where you are rooted. So I was born into a family. I didn't get to choose my identity. It was chosen for me at my birth. Anybody name themselves? Maybe you got the opportunity later. Maybe your parents were real progressive and they just waited until you could say what name you wanted. We don't choose our gender. We don't choose our name. We don't choose who we are. It is chosen for us. We are placed into an identity at our birth. That's what Jesus was trying to tell Nicodemus. You were born and... You need to be born again. Boy, that just opened up a whole bunch of questions, didn't it? Because I think Christians, sometimes we say born again, and we think everybody in the world just understands what that means. Be careful with your Christian language. Because this religious man who had a lot of knowledge about the Bible didn't get born again either. So we go out and say, you got to be born again. Don't just tell people to be born again. Tell them who Jesus is. And then introduce to them what it means to be born again. But don't just give them a command, hey, be born again and walk away from them. That doesn't do anything good for anybody. You know, we have this understanding of what it means to be born again. But Nicodemus didn't have the understanding, and now you have the understanding of you've become born again. But here's the truth. If you've never been born again, you're like, what in the world does that mean? How can I be born again? This is what Nicodemus said. Can I go into my mother's womb again and be born? You all know the answer to that already, right? Okay, because if not, this is a whole other class we need to have. So a man can't enter the second time in his mother's womb and be born. What was Jesus saying? That which is born of the flesh is flesh, identity. That which is born of the spirit is spirit, identity. Where's your identity? Is your identity in the flesh or is your identity in the spirit? Because who I am as a believer is in Christ. Because now... He's in me, but here's the great thing. I'm also in him. Now try to describe that. 
he's in me and I'm in him and we're in each other and all that stuff that God tries to, unity and break down. What, what, what happened? The Holy Spirit happens. That's what happens. And the same Spirit goes in every believer and makes us one. One body, one baptism, one Spirit in Jesus Christ. One Lord, one God over over all. What's he saying? All of that. Why? We serve the same Lord. We serve the same God. We live by the same Bible. We're in the same family. And there's only one Jesus. And nobody gets to dictate who he is. God does. Where's your identity today? What you believe about Jesus changes who you are. Here's the truth. If you've been changed, it's not because you changed yourself. That only goes so far. How many before you came to Christ, you tried that? You had a lot of stuff you had to quit. You had a lot of stuff to put away. You tried really hard. Those bootstraps never got pulled up so much. You really tried hard. You, 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 you worked as hard as you could, and then you found out. At the end of all that, you still didn't have satisfaction. You still didn't have the love you needed, the acceptance you needed, the joy. You tried to hard, hard to stop, but you couldn't stop because you didn't have the power to. It's like trying to operate something without plugging it in. What do you say? You have to be born first. And now that you have received life, guess what happens? You have the power to become the sons of God. That's what he says. Even to them that believe on his name. Now we become heirs and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Now my identity is not what the world calls me, but what God calls me. And I am in Jesus, and my identity is rooted in him. Why is it important that we know who Jesus is? Because he's your identity. And if you don't know the real Jesus, then your identity is all twisted and perverted. Religion might have done that to you. Some, some person, leader, might have done that to you. You have this false view of who Jesus is. And some of you, listen, if you're not careful, Jesus is some karmic force to you. Because, oh, well, Jesus is mad at me. That's why stuff's going bad. He's mad at me again because I did something wrong, and so now he's mad at me. And Jesus isn't karma. Are you with me? He's not karma. He's not the reason for evil in your life. He's not the reason for difficulty in your life. The reason for that is sin. It's in the world and in your flesh. And guess what? That kingdom's coming where there won't be any more sin or sickness. And he's going to make all things right and new. And right now we're struggling through this life. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Your victory is sure in Jesus. You don't have to pull yourself up today, but you can stand up taller because you're standing in Jesus today. You're on him. Nothing can pluck you from him. Nothing can separate you from him. But the most important thing today, church, is make sure that you're in him. Because if you're not in him, then you're none of his and he's not yours. He needs to be your Lord. I'll go back to Thomas. Thomas put his hands in the Lord's nail print and in his side. What did he say? My Lord and my God. He fell on his knees and he confessed Jesus to be in that moment his Messiah. My Lord, my Savior, my God. And then Jesus said some wonderful words, didn't he? Blessed are those that have not seen and yet believe. If God has used this ministry in any way to be a blessing to you, please take a moment to send us an email to info at opendoornj.org. 
Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so online at opendoornj.org. Thanks for tuning in.